Well, we're going to be over in the book of James to start off with here tonight. We're finishing up our section here on yieldedness. I have a quote from A.W. Tozer. And uh, he, he said, The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they have not yet come to the end of themselves. We are still giving some of the orders and we are still interfering with God's working within us. Boy, we've got to get out of that place of giving some of the orders and just get to a place of taking the orders. In James chapter 3 and verse 10, out of the same mouth, and this is where he talks about, of course, the tongue and how it controls uh, us and relates it to the ship and a number of other things. But we're picking up here after that. We're pretty familiar with those verses of Scripture and you can go back and reread those if you like. But in verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree... My brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine, bear figs. Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. The main areas I wanted to focus on from here is in verse 15. This wisdom, which was the earthly wisdom, does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist. Confusion and every evil thing are there. When this wisdom begins to mix its way into church people, into believers, then we are not able to defend against confusion and every evil thing. Very often the Christians become confused of situations. They can become confused about some moral decisions. They become confused about some ethical decisions. They become confused about job decisions. They become confused about directional decisions simply because they have leaned on the wisdom that comes from the earth. They have brought in this wisdom that does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, if we allow envy and self-seeking to come into our life, we have also brought in with it confusion and every evil thing to be there. That very often we'll find Christians who have confusion and evil things amongst them. And what we do is we begin to pray over them against the confusion and the evil thing. But the problem is the envy and the self-seeking. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing. So when we get into this place where we have our own self-seeking, well, I don't like that. Well, I want this. Well, I don't think I deserve to have that. Well, I think it should be this way. Well, I don't think it should be that way. Well, I don't like this. And, and we just go on with I this and I that. And What are we bringing in? And the devil loves it when we get into this because we bring in confusion 
and every evil thing. This is what we, we brought it in. And we wonder why we're confused. Because we got out of the forget self mode. We brought in the self-seeking mode. And as soon as we do that, confusion comes in. And the reason confusion comes in is because I am called to be yielded to God. And as soon as I get into being yielded to another force, or sometimes yielded to God and sometimes not, then I get confused. Not sure. Should I go this way? Should I go over here? Verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Willing to yield. Full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality. Without hypocrisy. This verse is so powerful. Underestimated by a lot of people. It's just We read over it so quickly. This verse gives you the ability to discern within a moment whether wisdom is from God or not. All you need to do is compare it to this verse. Because what you are hearing when people begin to spout out wisdom, you can look at the source of the person spouting out the wisdom and you can also compare the wisdom. Is, for the, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Does this wisdom that this person gives you, is this peaceable wisdom? Is this person a peaceable person? Or is this a person who stirs up strife and other things? Is this wisdom gentle? Is there gentleness mixed in with this wisdom? Or do you sense a harshness? Is it willing to yield? Or is it self-seeking? Is it full of mercy? Or is it full of judgment? Good fruits. Do you see mercy and good fruits in these people that spout this wisdom? If you don't see good fruits, then the tree is not good. Therefore, don't listen to the stuff that comes off. You don't have to wonder whether that wisdom is good or not. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. People who say one thing and do another. People who say, well, it should be this way, but then they aren't that way in in other situations. It should be without hypocrisy because that's how the Word of God is. Those are the things I want us to key on in this as we look at the rest of this. Of this, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. There are three stages we can find ourselves in the walk of yieldedness. The first one is being unyielded. You can be unyielded as a believer. Or as an unbeliever. Naturally, unbelievers are unyielded. That's their nature. It's their makeup. That's why they're unbelievers. They're unyielded. But believers also can walk in a way of being unyielded. Now, Pharaoh certainly is a good example of a heathen who was unyielded. He wasn't a follower of God. And he wasn't yielded to God. But King Saul started off as a believer. Started off good. But he got himself into a place where he became unyielded. The Word of God came to Saul and said, when you were first called, you were small in your own eyes. Something happened to him, didn't it? 
And now suddenly he wasn't willing to yield to God's way. When he saw the hand of God move over to David, was he willing to yield to the plan of God? No, he was self-seeking. He was envious. And because of that, what set in? Confusion and every evil thing. Came around Saul. Saul's a confused man. Saul had evil things coming about his, his kingdom, about his throne. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Israel. Israel certainly fell into a place where they were unyielding to God. They were yielding to self-interest. And where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing. When they got into a place and there was no water, they were confused. They thought God let them out through the Red Sea, killed all the Egyptians, created all those ten plagues just to kill them in the wilderness. That's, that's confused people. <laughs> these, are, these are people who don't know what's going on. How would you like it if God did ten plagues to spring you free after that? Brought you out, parted a, a Red Sea, a huge river, parted it, and uh, brought you along on dry ground and then closed it up on an army that wanted to kill you. That's pretty good. Then you think, as soon as you run into some hard times, God wants to kill us. If God wanted to kill us, He would have closed the Red Sea on you. But He didn't do that. But that's where confusion comes in. That's where people can get confused. Because they got into self-seeking. What were the things that came out of their mouth? When we were in Egypt... We had garlic and onion and what was it, leeks and, and stuff. Now, if you're Jim, you don't care about the garlic. He said, he's glad to be out of there. <laughs> if you're me, I really don't care much about onions. I pick them out of my sandwiches. I pick them out of most food. The only thing I leave them in is where they're cooked to where the point you can't even tell that they're onions anymore. Then I'll leave them in. But I don't like the taste of onions. I don't know why these people do. Some people eat onions like like apples. I feel bad for those people. <laughs> but you know, sometimes we won't miss all that stuff. But here they are. Oh, it was so good in Egypt. You were slaves. They were beating you. Yeah, but the garlic, <laughs> the leeks and the onions. Oh, you should taste those things. And they were confused because they thought if they went back, they could have all the garlic and onions they wanted. Oh, we're so glad to have you back. Come on in. How many garlics would you like? How many onions would you like to have? We'll even fry them up for you. I don't think that's what they were going to be, uh, be getting back there. They're confused people because they allowed this self-seeking to come in. That's why God has us to be on guard about self-seeking. Because constantly we get into a mode of what is good for me. And we've left out what has God called me to do? What has God said I should do? How many of you, you all, if you put yourself in the place of God, could find better places for such a great minister as Elijah? I mean, Elijah, there's some good miracles going on. There's some good things going on in this man's ministry. You know where God put him? Where no one appreciated him. He was so unappreciated that he thought he was the only believer left. How many of y'all think that Elijah deserved something better than that? 
Here about Jeremiah. Constantly getting words from God. And come out and bring them out and people just beat him for it. He was definitely underappreciated. How about Paul going into places like Philippi? Underappreciated. People just got into riots. Got all upset that he was there. Not a whole lot happened in some of those cities. Even though he got some churches going and they eventually uh, grew into something. But underappreciated. How about Jesus? Wasn't he underappreciated sometimes? When he come on in and, and all he faced was doubt and unbelief? And yet he could come in and heal multitudes of people. In Capernaum, he, he couldn't do hardly anything in there because they underappreciated him. How many think that he's saying, you know what? I think I'm going to go over here to, to, uh, to Samaria. When I was in Samaria, they were pretty excited to have me there. I think that's a better move. But you see, you can't get into self-seeking. You've got to do what God said. And Jesus knew where He was sent. He was sent to the children of Israel. Whether they wanted Him or not, whether they were going to receive Him or not, this is where He was sent. And so He went. But you can get into these unyielded people in Second Chronicles in verse 30. It says this about in verse 8. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter His sanctuary which He has sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of His wrath may turn away from you. So they were stiff-necked. He says, don't be stiff-necked, but yield yourselves to the Lord. There's a decision on your part to become yielded to God. There's also a decision on your part to become stiff-necked and unyielded to God. And people who do this on a regular basis cannot even tell that they're doing it anymore. They become, they've seared their conscience. Many times people do things, they're unyielded people, but they see themselves as yielded. We saw this many times in the Old Testament. Moses had how many times the people rise up in rebellion against Moses in the name of the Lord? Mm-hmm. Moses, God hasn't only picked you. We get this, we can serve God as well. All right, fine, let's have a meeting. Let's see who God picks. <laughs> And God picks some to go on and He picks some to die right there. And they did. Fire came down, burned up some, the earth opened up, ate up others. But God showed them. But they were unyielded. But they saw themselves as yielded. They saw themselves as being God-fearing. Don't think that unyielded people constantly are against God. Very often you will find unyielded people who think they're right on. But they are unyielded people. Where do you think heresies came from? People who taught heresies are people who thought they had some new revelation from God. And they were out there to teach it. Where do you think the Pharisees came came from? They thought they were serving God. And when they saw something that came from God that they couldn't control, they decided to try and brand it as something evil. But they still saw themselves as, as working for God and still brought the people to the Word. and just They were confused people because they were unyielded, because they were self-seeking, and they had envy for Jesus. They brought all this kind of stuff in. So unyielded people. Unyielded people are not just anti-God, though certainly they are. Unyielded people are anti-God. But there are some people that say they are for God, 
that are still unyielded. They will do it their way. That's all there's going to be to it. I'm going to do it my way. And God will line up with my way. Because my way is good. But then after you have the unyielded people, you have the partially yielded. This fits a whole lot of Christians. First one we can look at is Jehu. In 2 Kings chapter 10. Now verse uh, chapter 9 gets into Jehu a lot and a lot of things that he did. And he did a lot of good things. But over in chapter 10, let's take a look at that. This, thus, we're going to jump in here in the middle. Jehu did all these great things. was very zealous for the Lord. He was anointed. To uh, Elijah was supposed to anoint him. And he did not. He anointed Elisha. And he was supposed to anoint two others, but Elijah didn't do it. And so the mantle fell to Elijah, Elisha to go out there. And Elisha anointed Jehu. And so Jehu is anointed to be king of Israel. How many God-fearing kings does Israel have over the course of their history? Zero. Zero. The northern tribes from the time of their rebellion have absolutely no king who fears God. None. Not even a little bit. From the day they rebelled until the day they were taken captive, they never had a leader who feared God. That's astounding, isn't it? Now, the southern tribe Judah had several who feared God and some who somewhat feared God and some who didn't fear Him at all. But the northern tribe never had a king. So if you hear of a king of Israel, you know instantly he was bad. You don't have to do thorough research to the Word of God. You just know he was bad. Because they all were. But Jehu started out good until the day he became king. That's exactly what Jeroboam did. Jeroboam started out good until the day he became king. As soon as he became king, he fell off. Now, I'm sure he had help. The devil probably targeted him <laughs> as he would any leader. Well, verse 28. Then thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. So he went around after his calling and he wiped out the worship of Baal in Israel. How many th- No, that sounds good. This sounds all right. And he was zealous for it too. Boy, I mean, he went after it with everything he had. He, if you go through the rest of chapter 9 and, or all of chapter 9 and rest of chapter 10, you'll see how zealous he was for this. However, that's never good. <laughs> Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, <clears throat> who had made Israel sin. That is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Do you remember the verse of Scripture that says that God will visit the sins of the fathers up to the third and fourth generation? That is not, a as we told you this before, that is not a verse of judgment. It is a verse of mercy. It is not a judgment verse. God will visit the sins of the fathers until the third or fourth generation. What He is saying there is, and this one right here backs it up, is that God will hold off the judgment that is due because of the fathers for three or even four generations. It will come. But He, because of His mercy, will hold it off. He is not saying, because this is anti-God and anti-Bible, 
He is not saying that when the fathers do something that the sons will pay for it for four generations. Because that is not God. Each man pays for his own sin. So just understand that's that's in there. That's a verse of mercy. Still constantly taught as a voice of judgment. Verse of judgment. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of God of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam which he made Israel sin. In those days the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. Why did they, why does he do that? Because Jehu's operating in idolatry. And he's leading the people that way. And Hazael conquered them in all the territory of Israel. Whom did we hear about from Hazael before? Remember hearing about him? We covered it not too long ago. Elijah was to anoint how many people? Three. Jehu, Elisha, and Hazael. King of Syria. And Hazael conquered them in all the territory of Israel from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, Manasseh, from Aurora, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. So he began to lose territory because of this idolatry. Now God says, I'm going to let the fourth generation of your sons sit on the throne. That's my promise. Even though he didn't follow after God, God continued in that promise because that's his word. However, some of those sons' reigns were very short. They did not stay long because they too followed in the same way. I said, now it could have been a whole lot longer if they would have been obedient and done the things they were supposed to. But where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehu rested with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoaz, his son, reigned in his place in the period that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was 28 years. That was the longest. The rest of his sons did not reign anywhere near that long. You can go back through and read the rest of it and, uh, and check that out. But, the, but he served the Lord with zeal. And this is the thing that has confused people about Jehu. He was very zealous for the Lord. How could God not be pleased with him and how could he not continue to go after God? Why does he jump right into going after the idols? And it's simple. Because a, a person like Jehu is very easy to understand. We see them even today. And we have them all through history. Jehu is a person who is very zealous for the things of God when the things of God benefit Jehu. That's all that there is to it. The things that he was doing that he was zealous over were things that would establish him as king. The people that he was killing in the name of God were people that stood in the way of him in the throne. They showed him as a mighty man amongst the people. And he was very zealous for it. And people saw the hand of God working with him to get these things done. And so then the people said, all right, this is our leader. We're going to go this way and then his true heart comes out. No, I'm going to still be worshiping here and worshiping here and doing these other things. But he was okay to get rid of Baal because that showed showed a certain zeal about him. So he served the Lord with zeal as long as it served Jehu. This is where a lot of people are at. Turn over to Bibles of John chapter 14. We're going to look at Thomas. 
Thomas is another guy who's partially yielded. Not all the way, as most of the disciples were not all the way yielded. Let not your heart be troubled. If I had the right one here. Yep. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. Also, from now on, you know him and have seen him. Well, what's, what's Thomas say? Lord, we don't know where you're going. But Jesus said, you do. So what's, what's Thomas up, up to here? He's confused. Now, where's, where's confusion? Confusion is present. Envy and self-seeking is probably somewhere around. Envy and self-seeking. It's probably somewhere around. This is why most people get confused about decisions. Because the confusion comes in, this is good for me. This is what I feel God's saying. That's where confusion comes in. When God says, do this, and I want to do this, I'm not confused. Right? But when I want to do this, and God says to do this, I'm confused. <laughs> but, I've, but I want to do this. I feel like God's saying to do this, but I want to do this. I'm so confused. <laughs> Where's the confusion? Because I want to do this. It's because it's, we're not all the way yielded yet. I'm yielded in some parts and I'll, I'll yield to God as long as He's going in the way that I want. See, an unyielded person really doesn't care which way God is saying. But a partially yielded person has some concern what way God says and the confusion comes in because I want to go here. I feel like God's telling me, go here. I want to do this, but His Word says to do this. But I want to do this. Confusion. Oh. I feel like I need this. But God says, I don't need this. But I feel like I need this. Confusion. Never evil thing. That's where confusion comes from. See, a Yoda person just says, well, God says I don't need that. Okay. No confusion. God says I don't need it. Ah, I don't need it. I'm good. Hmm. You know, put it, into, put it into some uh, terms you might understand a little bit better. Most people have been through at some point in their life a diet. And when you go through that diet, you have, you have decided to submit yourself to the rules of whatever diet it is you're on. And you know, there's a thousand diets out there. All kinds of stuff that you can, uh, you can get into. I have been on a diet myself. Never, I didn't say a diet to lose weight, but I have been on a diet before. And, and, you know, whenever you get into a diet, there are rules that you are to follow. Then when you first get on that diet, those rules are contrary to the way that you've been going. Isn't that right? 
I'm, I'm used to having pizza when I want to have pizza. My diet says pizza once a month. But I want pizza now. I just had it yesterday. <laughs> we don't like the rules that are on this stuff. We're, but we, if we submit to those rules, then when the craving for pizza comes up, what do we do? I don't need it. My diet says I need it once a month. I'll get it next month. And as long as I stay submitted, am I confused? Am I having problems? It's when I allow the envy of pizza. Pizza envy begins to creep into my life. And instead of seeking after the good of the diet, I'm seeking after the good of Steve. Steve wants pizza. Steve should have pizza. I should have pizza now. <laughs> yeah, with pepperoni. How else is there to have pizza? Of course you have pizza. Pepperoni. All kinds of meats. Just piled up. On the pizza. No vegetables are on my pizza. They might be on your pizza, but on my pizza, there's no, there's no vegetables. There's no, there's no room for vegetables. There's meat on the pizza. That's my pizza. But I see, you know, we, we gotta submit to it. As long as I stay submitted to the diet, I don't have a problem. No. I don't need it. It's when I begin to entertain that I need something different from that. Then I'm not so, no, not so sure of it. Now, I've told people some things about the diet I've been on before. And, and uh, as long as I stayed focused on that diet, I have any trouble. And I have people all around who, who, when they found out about my diet, tried to get me to sway. When I was in college, this is when I was on the diet the most, I would allow myself, I believe, um, I think it was about once a week, I would allow myself to have dessert. But only once a week. And on that once a week when I allow myself to have dessert, it was only ice cream. I would not allow myself to have anything that was of sugar. Anything, any other sugar stuff. Only ice cream and that once a week. That was part of the diet. I regulated everything that I drank. In the morning, I could only drink fruit juices. In the afternoon, before the workout, before we had a workout after lunch, I would only drink water. I would drink nothing else. No soda would enter my body during the entire training period. None. No Diet Cokes. No Cokes. None. Only water at lunch. Only orange juice in the morning. No milk. And at night time, I was allowed to have milk. That was my diet. Because there were some, some benefits to that that I don't need to get into. But that's what it was. And so some people would try and tempt me with desserts. Because at college, they serve you dessert every meal. They always, and it's all the desserts. You just go up there and get the dessert. And they'd bring on up, oh, boy, this is good. Yeah, great. Enjoy it, man. And I wasn't tempted at all. And that just bugged them to no end. But I had my focus. I had myself built up. I had done my research. I had done my studies. And I learned what was good and what was not. And as I developed it, I, I cut fat down to almost nothing. I was up on proteins and I was up on carbohydrates. I got my fat down so low, I could not drink whole milk. I would almost vomit it if I drank whole milk. Couldn't, couldn't touch. If you cooked me a meal and put any kind of cream in it, it do me in. To this day, I cannot eat anything with cream in it. 
I can now handle stuff cooked with milk. But for a while, I couldn't even handle anything with cream. It was oh, just because I was so used to such a low fat. Now, I don't know if it was good or not. I'm not telling you that it was a good diet or anything like that. I'm just telling you that's what I was on. And this was this was uh, the heart guy, Nathan Pritikin. He got on some stuff and, and he had all, a whole diet out there for runners. And I bought into it and I went after it. Low sugar, low processed stuff, low fat, high protein, high carbohydrates. And of course, you had, I had to eat, as I told you before, I had to eat 4,500 calories a day to maintain my weight. Which is not up in, you know, Phelps, Phelps, Phelps was his, the swimmer? Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps. Mm-hmm. He was up, what was it, around 10,000? Mm-hmm. Boy, he had to eat a lot. I didn't have to eat that much. But I wasn't fronting as much as he was. He was swimming a lot. Oh. And I'll tell you, you can get bored with food. <laughs> when you have to eat that much, you get bored with food. There's times I came down to dinner and I just was so <laughs> tired of food. So tired of eating that I'd... No, oh, you don't know what it's like having to eat all that. You don't know what it's like. Just to get, you ought to try getting 4,500 $4, calories in your body. It is hard. It was, I had, I had a loaf of, I told you before, I had a loaf of bread. I would take a loaf of bread out of the cafeteria and it would be up in my dorm room. And between meals, I would be eating bread sandwiches. Now they were, bread sandwiches is a slice of bread sandwiched between two other slices of bread. <clears throat> no butter, just bread. Three slices of bread, whole wheat, not white, never ate white bread, still don't eat white bread, don't like white bread, it's whole wheat bread, three slices at a time, and I'd chow down three and then grab another three and eat them. Half a loaf of bread minimum I ate between meals. Just between meals, not the bread I ate during the meal. That was just between meals. And this was all part of the part of the diet. So I was bored with food sometimes by the time you come up there, but you had to eat. And you focus on it. Because I yielded to the knowledge that I had about eating and stuff. Anybody who gave me a distraction, it was not a temptation. I had absolutely no interest in white bread, cookies, cakes, no interest. No interest in soda. Because I was focused on, on this. I yielded to it. And I was never confused. I never came into a meal. You know, I really feel like having some milk. But I'm supposed to run this afternoon. Ah, I really don't feel like having water. And I'll tell you what, there were times I didn't feel like it. But as we get, you cannot be partially yielded. You've got to be fully yielded. Even when we were, you know, when the coach came out and said, we're going to do hills today, you could not be partially yielded to your coach. You must be fully yielded. When he comes out and says, hills, you say, hell. <laughs> like those football movies because they always have those guys. They're all excited. Whatever the coach comes out, yeah, yeah let's do that. Let's go ahead. Fully yielded. Jehu is partially yielded. As long as it benefits him, as long as he sees how it benefits him, he's going to go after it. Thomas is partially yielded. He will believe what he can understand. And I'll tell you what, that's important, folks. This is why we tell you to get some influences in your life because there's sometimes people have to be able to speak things into you that you do not understand, but you will still yield to it. That's why you're very careful with who you get as influencers. And you watch them, you look at their fruit. 
and you examine them. But then once they have passed the test, you've got to have some people that, well, you know what? Brother Higgins said this. I don't understand that yet, but I'm going to yield to it. If he said you shouldn't do that, I'm not, I'm not going to step in there and do that. Mm-mm. The Word of God says, don't do this. I don't understand why, but I'm going to yield to it. I don't have to understand why. I just know he said don't do it. This is why we got into that teaching, you know, when uh, the weaker brethren, they'll sometimes do some things because they understand that from the Word of God. They won't eat pork because they understand, their understanding of the Word of God is don't eat pork. And if you come in and try and mess that up, you're messing with their yieldedness. Until you can deal with the fact that they uh, have accepted the wrong truth, you don't mess with them. No, if you don't believe you should eat pork until you come to that understanding, don't you eat pork. And don't mess with them to, to get into that. Because this is what you're, you're, you're playing with, is this yieldedness thing. Real important that you stay fully yielded to what you understand. And if a, if a person has a wrong understanding, a different understanding from you on something, don't you mess with their yieldedness to it. You help them to be yielded to that thing. As long as it's not causing them harm, eat, not eating pork isn't going to kill you. It's not going to send you to hell. It's not going to mess up your walk with God. That's where they want to walk. Glory to God. Now, they got something that's messing up their walk with God. You can mess with that. <laughs> but now, and that's what Paul Paul's dealing with days and festivals and meats and stuff of that nature. He who is weak eats what? Vegetables only. That's why, you know, we always tell you, go out to, to eat, you can find out who the weak ones are. No, it's not this. <laughs> Look at John 20, verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. <clears throat> then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look in my hands. Reach your hands here and put it in my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and have not believed. This, is, of course, was after Thomas had said, I'm not going to believe. You know, you saw him and you're saying that you saw him. I'm not going to believe until until I put my finger in the holes of his hand and my hand in his side. Now, he never did that, did he? He believed anyway. But that's what he said. He said, until I do this, now, he didn't. Apparently, he had to do that. Just seeing Jesus standing there was enough for him. <laughs> I bet that'd be enough for you too, right? <laughs> but then he yielded. You see, God wanted, wants us to be able to yield to things that we don't fully understand, but we know it's truth from His Word. And we have to get to that place where we can do it. If you have to fully understand everything before you yield to it. See, when we were running, we had to yield to people who had an understanding of things that we didn't have an understanding of. We had to yield to coach. We had to yield to, to people who were writing things about diets and stuff. And we yielded to it. Right or wrong? <laughs> we yielded to it. We got to sometimes yield to some things we don't fully understand. How many of you, when you were young, your parents told you some things about cars? How to take care of the car and maybe you yielded to it? Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't do it because I don't understand that. Why in the world do you got to check the oil every time you put gas in the thing? That's just ridiculous. Checked it last time, it was fine. I'll be good for a couple months. 
Now you have to sometimes yield to things that you don't fully understand. Romans 6, 13, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We've got to yield to God. We are to present our, our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Now let's get into this fully yielded section here. Of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, otherwise known as? Mishael. Hananiah, yep, Hananiah, Mishael. You're getting there. You're getting there. They're coming, coming and rattling off a little bit better. Alright, you go look it up and you check them out. I name my computers after them. That's how I know them. All the computers around here in the church are named after the book of Daniel. Now, you won't know that unless you see the network, but the entire network is based off of the book of Daniel. And so we have all, uh, and then we have a couple of them that are, well, we'll, you know, we ran out of some names, so we used some Shadrachs and some, some, uh, <laughs> Meshachs in there. And we have a few of those. Cause I don't, I don't want a Nebuchadnezzar computer. Didn't, didn't want, didn't want one of those. But, but any, anyway, that doesn't mean anything to me. I'm the only one who sees all the inner workings of the network. But I know that the whole coding of the network is all book, based off the book of Daniel. And I had fun putting that together. Every time we get something new in there, I have to come up with something new to work it into the code. But Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, delivered his servants who trust in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. They yielded their bodies. This is the uh, heathen king at the time anyway <clears throat> who recognized they yielded their bodies. And they would not worship. Uh, we're not bowing down to your, your uh, golden image here, king. We'll serve you. We'll do what we're supposed to do. But we're not confused on this. We absolutely totally understand what we're supposed to do. And we're not supposed to bow down to that. And he kept trying to say, look, we'll do this. We'll play the instruments again. You can play them again if you want to, but we're still going to do the same thing. Because we're not confused on this. We know where we're going. There's no confusion. We don't need any help on this. We know where we're going. We know what we're doing. And we're not bowing down to your image. It's simple as that. But you understand, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Well, that's alright. That's what you got to do. You go ahead and do it. We're not confused here. We know we are not to bow down to your image. Well, I'm going to get so mad, I'm going to fire it up seven times hotter. Well, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But we see they're not confused. There's no confusion in them at all. Because they have yielded themselves to God. They know what God said. God says, Thou shalt not bow down to any other image. Any other God. Or worship any other God. You shall worship the Lord only. You shall not bow down to carved images. You will not have any carved images of me. You will not call any carved image me and bow down to it. So they knew what this is in the Word. You've got a carved image there. We don't worship carved image even if the carved image is our God or made in the image of our God or anything like that. We don't do it. We're not confused here. We know. And so no matter what the king did, he could not throw them under. No, no, we're not bound down. We're standing. You can play all the time you want to. We're standing right here. We aren't bound down. 
And the other people around them, the other believers said, just bow down, stop causing the fuss. Just bow down and go back and repent afterwards. You'll be fine. Nope. Nope. We're not, we're not doing it. We're, we're standing up. See, they're not confused. They were fully yielded. Fully yielded people, they don't get confused in the situations. What am I supposed to do? I see you get into the tribulation time, you're going to find some partially yielded people having some confusion. I can't buy anything unless they have the mark of the beast. If I can't buy anything, I can't bless anybody. If I can't bless anybody, I can't you know, buy them clothes. And, but I, I think I need to be one of those believers who gets the mark of the beast so I can buy stuff for the other believers. They're confused. Because the Word of God very clearly said, don't get it. Do not get it. If you do, you're done. Don't take it. Do not take it. It was very clear. Do not take the mark of the beast. Don't do it. Stay away from that. And so we begin to come confused. And we confuse the issue because we bring other things in because we are self-seeking and allow envy in. Why would anybody do that? Well, I have to be able to eat myself. But I'll pass it off that, well, I need to Buy for other people. We need to help other people. Self-seeking people, folks, are so easy to see. They are, they are not hard. I don't know why people have a hard time finding self-seeking people. But self-seeking people are very easy to spot. You all should be able to spot self-seeking people in our government right now. The people have spoken very clearly. We do not want this kind of health care. And what does our government people have to do? Why? Are they seeking after your good? They are not seeking... Well, whose good are they seeking after? It's very clear. They are self-seeking people. Do you know they have a plot right now to get this done next Thursday? I got into some of the stuff, but I didn't get into all I could bring it on out here to you. But they have a plot right now to get this passed here next Thursday in an underhanded backdoor way. That's our Congress for us, huh? Hmm. They're self-seeking. you got to understand, why is, is it that these people in government are so bent on getting this health care thing through if the people have all said, we don't want it. Leave it alone. Last one of the polls I heard was 80% of the people want them to leave it alone. You would think that they would listen to that, wouldn't you? <laughs> but no, that's not what they're going to do. They are self-seeking. Self-seeking people are easy to, easy to spot. They're really easy to spot. All you got to do is just know some of the stuff we went over to hear from the Word of God and you can spot them. Now, it doesn't mean write them off. You know, they're evil and no good. They're just st still in the self-seeking. They haven't yielded totally to God. We got to get them over to the place where they completely yield to God. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The first step in that process is which means we must yield to him. If we are not yielded to him, the devil is not going to because the first step in the process is submit to God. 
Too many Christians are out there, folks. They got their own agenda. They got their own way. I want this. I'm going to have this house. I'm going to have this car. I'm going to have this job. I'm going to have this wife. I'm going to have this dog. I'm going to have this cat. And they got it all listed out. I'm going to have this. This is how I'm going to go. And then they begin to rebuke. I rebuke other people from taking that job. I rebuke other people from buying that dog. That's my dog. And they begin to do all this sort of stuff. But did they, did they get this from God? It's self-seeking. You cannot be self-seeking and have authority. You cannot be. If you are self-seeking, you have no authority in any situation. Because as we went back to the centurion before, the centurion said, I am a man under authority. If I leave being under the authority, I have no authority. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil is not fleeing from people because they have not first off submitted to God. They're doing everything they can to resist Him, but they have not first submitted to God. They are self-seeking. They are envious. Because of that confusion, and every evil thing can set in. William Booth once said, The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. Boy, I like that quote. The measure of his surrender. When we yield ourselves to God, we have faith in proportion to our yieldedness. The more yielded we become to God, the greater our faith. In an unyielded state, we look for what benefits us. In a partially yielded state, we look to what benefits both. In a fully yielded state, we look to what benefits Him. When you first get born again, you're not going to be in a place where you fully look to benefit Him. And God understands that. He knows that. He knows it's a growth process. But that's what we have to get into. We have to get into that growth process. And I've got to get out of always looking for what benefits me. I don't want to go minister to that person over there. They always do this. I always talk like that and they always drag me down here and they always make me do this. And I really don't want to... What did God say though? Now just because somebody makes you go through some stuff doesn't mean that God wants you to minister to them. Sometimes we get that suffering complex. If I'm not suffering, I'm not ministering. <laughs> That's not necessarily right either. God hasn't just called us to, to do that. Don't be, don't be walking in that way. But when God says, go over there and help that person. I don't really feel like it right now. Can I do it later? What am I doing? Partially yielded. Now nah, we got to get into that place being fully yielded. When God says, go this way. When God says, minister to this one. When God says, endure this. When God says to Elijah, stand on the mountain by yourself and stand up for me. When God says to Jeremiah, here's the word. No one's going to want to hear it, but you go out there and tell them anyway. When God says to Jonah, get up and go to your enemies and tell them to repent so I can save them. These are yielded people. Jonah wasn't so much so and... God said, I need you to do this thing. You're going to do it. <laughs> Not always does He come out there and 
as, as forcefully as that. But we need to make sure that we do that. We need to be yielded to Him. Our life down here is to get ourselves to where we are fully yielded to Him. To where I do not have to find enjoyment for myself out of this. I do not have to find self-seeking avenues. God, God do, you, do you want that done? I'll do, I'll do it. I'll get it done. You imagine the football player on the sidelines and the coach pulls him over and says, I need you to block him. And the football player says, that'll hurt. He's big. That'll hurt. What'll happen? <laughs> That's not a yielded player. No, what, do you, what kind of a thing do you expect? Yes, sir. I'll take him down. I'll block him. I'll do what I need to do. We'll get him out of that play. We'll make sure he doesn't affect this. We'll do that. That's what we got to do. We gotta, God says, I need you to take this thing on over here. I need you to pray for an hour. I need you to speak the word to these folks over here. But God, they won't listen. I didn't ask you about whether they listen or not. I need you to go out there and speak the word to them. Yeah, but I don't feel like talking about it to people who aren't going to listen. Ah, unyielded. It's got to benefit me some. I've got to get out of that mode. If we really want to increase our power in the spiritual realm, we've got to increase our yieldedness. Again, bring you back down to Creflo Dollar's quote. The one who's the most yielded wins. The one who's the most yielded they win. It's work on our yieldedness. Every time that the Word of God rises up in us and shows us something that God wants us to do and our will on the inside is something different, I get to beat that thing down a little bit. Put that down some. Oh, that would be good. That should be good. That's why I used to, when I used to run a lot more and was running for cross country and all that, I looked forward to the miserable days to run. The rainy, 32 degrees and rain. I'd rather it be 28 and snowing than 32 and rainy. Oh, they were horrible days to rain. And especially when you get wind. Wind and rain and cold. The most miserable day. And this is back before we had all the high-tech stuff. We got high-tech stuff now. You wouldn't even know some of it that's going on. But you're wearing cotton sweats. Cotton sweats, all we had. Cotton sweats in the rain and the cold and the wind. It was miserable. But I would get myself going on that for, for the only reason to say, I will not give in to any desire that rises up that says, You will not run today. I will not give in to this body who says, I don't feel like going out in the cold. I would not let my body rise up. I would sooner skip a 70 degree day, nice flowing breeze, than miss a 32 degree, rainy, windy, miserable day. Because I knew when I got out there, I didn't even care how fast I ran or what I got done. All I knew is when I got done that run, I was more yielded than I was before. That's all I looked at. 
when you face some miserable situations to obey God in, just look at the fact that when you get done, you will be more yielded to Him than you were before. That's what we need to look at. Oh, it's a good thing to be yielded. It's the best thing in the world to be yielded to Him. God, God knows that if He says something, you will not hesitate. You will instantly do it. That's where we need to be. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us to bring our lives to a place where we are 100% fully yielded to You. We thank You for the help that You give us in that. Give You glory and honor. Father, we are here to live for You. Not to be self-seeking. Not to be envious of what other people have. But to yield ourselves fully to You. We thank You for every situation that comes across our path that brings us to that place. Every situation that's like a 32 degree windy rainy day. We just look at that and say, I will be more yielded by the time I get done. For the situations like the fiery furnace, I will be more yielded by the time I come out. Like the lion's den, more yielded by the time we come out. Oh, the children of Israel lost an opportunity when they faced no water and no food to be more yielded when they got to the other side of that. They lost the opportunity. So, Father, help us to recognize these opportunities that come up. And let us rise up with fire in our bones. I will. Be yielded to my God, to His Word, and to His will. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.